Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn? I'm Scott Babcock, and I'm here with your co-host, Daniel Mendoza. Daniel, we are hitting the end of July. Summer is hitting uh, full swing. How are you feeling? I cannot believe that uh, we're, we're coming into the end of July here. I know your kids are, are going back to school soon. Um, Just next week. But uh, it's pretty crazy that I know we're in the middle of summer. Um, but yeah, I, I can't believe that August is next week. It doesn't seem possible. And yeah, in the, in the state of Tennessee, kids go back. They get kind of a shortened summer, but they get longer breaks during the year. So yeah, they start school next week already. And uh, Tennessee finally decided to wake up and accept that it's summer. And today it's going to be almost 100 degrees with ridiculously high humidity. So we are back in full swing for summer after what was kind of a nice early beginning of the month, uh, weather-wise. So um, getting, getting back into that southern heat. Uh, and yeah, we're ready to roll. So today, as we wrap up the month, uh, obviously our topic this month has been inclusivity. Hopefully you've enjoyed um, our shorter snippets of, of content this month, where we've sort of been trying to uh, cover off on a series of topics in a sequence uh, all around inclusivity. But we want to wrap up the month with a mailbox episode. We've gotten some good questions around inclusiveness in training and how to better prepare your, your teams and your organization to have a more inclusive environment when it comes to training and being able to have better accessibility to your content. And we want to address those today. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Question number one, what are some challenges of inclusive learning? This is an interesting question to me because I think there's probably a lot and that might actually be the most challenging thing for me is there are so many things to consider when you're trying to make your content uh, inclusive or to sort of think about universal or inclusive design in your content, um, whether it's, you know, is it access to technology? Is it maybe physical limitations? Is it uh, like resources that are available or, or not? It can be time and scheduling and capacity. It's really, really hard to try to accommodate for all the variations that might your learning might need to take on to make it truly accessible to people. Um, and I think that almost can be daunting sometimes when you get started is where do we even begin? Because th there are so many things we need to consider that it can feel like there might be not an end to your abilities uh, to, to meet every need. And to me, that's always been one of the more challenging things is I don't really know, like, where is it okay to say, this might be what we can accomplish with this particular course or with this material um, and, and say like, we've done the best we can to meet as many of our learners needs as possible. Um, and to draw that line in the sand, because it always feels like you can go one step further a lot. And to me that, that can be a big challenge. I, I was gonna, you know, Scott, I, I agree with everything you said. I think that for me, and this is, I think when it comes to inclusivity and, and a lot of topics, that, that surround that. And by no means do I want to make this mailbag uh, into that sort of episode. But I think the the challenge with inclusivity and learning and inclusivity in general is, is talking about it and asking the right questions so you can have inclusive learning um, and make sure you're 
because you know <coughs> this past month we've talked about inclusivity in a few different ways we've talked about disability and race and gender and all those things but then also there's inclusivity in terms of of learning styles so if you talking about things like race and gender and disabilities and those there, there's still a stigma around them which everybody has to deal with every day and i think having that conversation internally between yourself as a human resource executive an organizational development executive a talent management uh, manager um learning whatever that whatever department you are in that has to consider learning um, having those conversations within your business units is the challenging part um, and i guess this is the moment for me to say like wipe the challenge away and, and have the conversation so you can get into all the things that Scott mentioned. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've always attempted, at least with myself, um, in those moments, because those are those can be challenging conversations, is to just, you have to go into it with positive intent. You're, you're having the conversation to try to be better. And uh, it's just when it comes to learning specifically, I guess, um, it's the same notion that I have when it, when the challenge of all the options, you're, you're always trying to do the most you can for your learner audience and to be as representative for them. Um, and so having that conversation helps to really build the dialogue around what is out there to start asking the right questions to better understand your audience, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well as we go through this. But um, having that ability to start the conversation, knowing it's with the best possible intent to get at solutions uh, puts everyone in a in a good mindset to have that conversation in a productive manner. I think at least that's always been my approach. Question number two: Do you think there's been a shift in mindset on inclusivity learning over the past year or two? I'm going to start with the the short answer, which is which is yes. I, I think that um, when it came to inclusivity. And, and when you're talking about learning styles, we had to consider a, a lot of different learning styles because um, people who learned in person uh, well in scenario-based style learnings um, or, you know, touching and feeling and, and being in that sort of scenario um, had to find other ways to um, interact and, and, and have success from learning. So in terms of um, being inclusive uh, in your e-learning design or your learning design in general, uh, in the past 18 months, accommodating those learning styles remotely was a big part of that. So I think that's definitely had the mindset shift. And we've talked about this, I think, countless times on the podcast, but the idea of what can be in person, what can be online, what's verbal, what's written, what's video, what's self-paced, what's you know asynchronous, what's synchronous, et cetera. Um, all of those things are, is, is, are part of that shift um, to a different way to evaluate learning, which I think the concept of inclusivity has been more of a conversation in the past 18 months than it has been in the past. I think societally and culturally too, um, there's been a lot more to your point of having, having the conversation. Uh, there have obviously been a number of events that have triggered the conversation to need to be uh, had around things like race and diversity and gender equality and uh, a number of other topics, right? That I think as society has embraced some of that uh, or recognized some some gaps in uh, our conversation and, and what we're talking about, I think that's resonated with organizations and the L&D department is a representation of that on the learning front. Um, and so I think there are more conversations that are have, happening around diversity and inclusion. Um, 
I, from a client perspective, and maybe this goes back a bit more than a year or two, so I might be expanding the question a little bit, but I think more and more we're seeing departments that are are dedicated to diversity and inclusion within organizations we work with. That, that is a representative part of their, now their business model or their business plan is to talk about it with their employees and talk about it as it represents their customers. Uh, what is their place within their their communities even? Um, and so realistically, I think that has brought that more and more as a part of what is learning and development as well. Uh, and I think it it impacts like how we start to have conversations with our clients as well. So Daniel, a question for you would be, what are some things that you're doing maybe from our side or as you talk with clients to sort of introduce it as part of a kickoff or a starting moment when you, when you're starting to have these conversations with clients? Yeah, I think, I think the, the initial question that we're, we're talking about is, and, and it's not, I think the, the, the conversation has morphed a little bit. Um, Whereas before we were talking, we've always asked, you know, tell me about your learner. Um, but I think the conversation goes a little bit deeper now. So um, how, how do they typically like to interact? Um, what is the environment they're in? Uh, we, you know, we talk about the, the differences in, in geographic location around the U.S. where um, people who live in various suburban areas or um, and they're in kind of the metropolitan areas are going to treat learning a little bit than people who are in, you know, the Midwest, just because they, they maybe are in more rural areas. They have less Wi-Fi. They have like all of those, all of those things, which are all part of like making the learning inclusive overall. Um, we start to ask a little bit more and ask deeper questions about the learner, which I, I think is an important part. Um, in the cons, the conversation of building learning for the learner and not for the company, um, or the organization or the trainer in that case. You, you bring up a good point. I think the conversation in the past was tell us about your learner. And what we got was we have salespeople, we have manufacturing. It was, what is their job yeah. more often than not? It was, is what do they do? Um, and I think the conversation has now changed to tell us about your learner. And while we still get a lot of that information, we also get, here's a challenge that our stores might have. So uh, we have a client who historically has spotty Wi-Fi um, that would be available to their learners. They have good internet for like their POS systems and stuff, but what they have readily available to a learner in their stores is, is somewhat suspect. And so we talk about that as a, uh, something we have to accommodate for in terms of heavy bandwidth use and things like that. It could also be, you know, we have employee resource groups that now have a, a seat at the table as part of the conversation to represent those that might have physical or learning disabilities, those that um, represent minority statuses uh, that might be uh, part of the conversation in terms of how we represent materials. Um, and even things like when we use characters or cutouts or um, scenario-based interactions, are we really representing the employee base appropriately and adequately? Um, we have a lot more of that conversation to make people feel part of the, the, the training, that the training represents them. I think it, it, it gets more to the people and not necessarily the job when we talk about things now. Question number three. What is the difference between accessibility and inclusive design? I think these two terms probably can be very interchangeable on 
some level, depending on how you choose to define it. But when I think of things like inclusive design, um, realistically, I think you're talking about how do we create content that's going to ultimately be, we'll call it static, right? Once it's made, it is kind of what it is that reaches and speaks to or meets the needs of the greatest possible representation of the population. So you're sort of designing in a way that is, how do we make this meet the masses in the best possible light? And when I think about accessibility, I'm thinking, again, my definition, if I'm going to sort of differentiate them would be, this is around making things available through accommodations that are uh, perhaps variable from one user to the next. So is it the ability to change the orientation of the screen? Is it the option to do this via mobile or uh, maybe a desktop? Is this something where it can be done inside or outside of uh, maybe a store location where we talked about like Wi-Fi? Are we making things available in different modalities? Um, I think it allows for choice, right? So that my preference, I have the option to take it in the way that is the best format for me. While the material itself isn't going to change, I have some choice in the way I consume it. Um, So when I think about accessibility, it's making things available via different accommodations. Inclusive design is more, I've designed it with the greatest possible number of my uh, members of my audience represented. I don't have a ton to add to that, Scott. I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think um, it's a, I think those two things can be interchanged and thrown around in both ways. I think there is a distinct difference in terms of um, being inclusive. I think, um, accessibility for me, and I think you touched on it a little bit, comes down to regardless of my situation or scenario, um, I'm able to, to have the same learning experience as my peer. Um, so whether that's, we talk disability, hearing impairment, um, visual, uh, visual impairment, something like that, physical impairment um, of some kind, um, I can have the same learning experience as my peer next to me. Um, and then inclusive, um, I think I always think about it as for everyone. So regardless of of that, I'm going to feel like this is made for me. Um, and I think that's where, so like one is I can have the same experience as other people. And this one is the, I'm going to feel like it's personalized and made for me because it is inclusive in nature. I think that's a solid distinction as well. So the last question for this episode is what are the top three benefits to an organization for creating inclusive e-learning? I'm sure there are probably many more than three uh, is the reality, but we'll, we'll try to narrow it down to three things we, we kind of highlight. Um, and I'll go first with my first one. Um, and I think it's all about, uh, well, it's not all about, again, there's many options, but this one's all about employee retention. The reality is if you are building to make people feel like the content was designed for them with them in mind that they're a part of the thought process and the flow uh, and that they don't feel that they're excluded from the training experience because of any of the factors that might put them at a distinct disadvantage to others that they really do feel like they're on an equal footing and that that's considered that's an organization you want to work for ultimately i believe um, because it's someone who's considering their employees, not just as a number or as a production part of a cog, they're, they're considering their employees as people with unique needs and unique uh, requirements. And again, to me, that's, that's an organization that I'm going to resonate more with that I'm probably going to stay with longer. 
Um, and so as an organization, things that the reason that's a benefit, obviously, is just I'm not spending the time onboarding people, going through the things that you have to do investment wise from whether it's uh, background checks or drug testing. I mean, there's always an expense to bringing on new employees and to putting them through a training program just to have them leave. I have employees that are going to stick around. They're going to take the material I've given them. Hopefully the behavior changes that I'm affecting through my learning objectives, and they're going to utilize that to be productive for me as an organization. Um, and to me, that's a, that's a massive win. So the, the, the more you can retain your employees and make them stronger and they become a more productive unit for you, that's obviously a win. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so I'll, I'm, you know, the fact that I agree with everything you just said, Scott, I'll just hop right into benefit number two. Go for it. For me, uh, and we talked about this the past few months, um, I think the second benefit that we really go into is comes down to empowerment. I'm personally big on uh, empowerment and how it affects motivation and um, for your employees, uh, teammates, people you coach um, or mentor in any way. And I think that inclusive e-learning empowers employees because as we said in the last question, um, it makes them feel like it was made for them. And when something feels like it's for you and it's individualized and it's personalized, it, it allows that experience to be better um, and empower you to want to be a part of it. Um, and I think that that is very motivating um, to be part of a learning path, be part of a learning culture and, and, and grow as an individual inside an organization. A solid point as well. So I'm going to go on right ahead to number three uh, and keep the train rolling here. We've got, uh, I'm going to go on back to retention, but in a different way. I'm going to talk about knowledge retention. And I think, again, when you resonate with the content, you feel more a part of that process that Daniel talked about with empowerment and feeling engaged and, and that the content was built for you. Not only are you going to feel more engaged, uh, connected to your organization, but you're going to feel more connected to the content itself. Um, and there are quite a few studies that the more you feel like that training is yours, that it's personalized, um, that it's something that you can kind of buy into, you're going to retain that information longer. You're going to start to apply those objectives in a more meaningful way. And you're going to, you're going to be able to execute on that training um, more uh, efficiently or more effectively. And I think, uh, so when you, when you have content that doesn't feel forced, when you have content that makes it feel like I'm a part of the process, uh, or this was built for me, that's going to stick with you longer. So that knowledge is going to stay longer. You're going to have a, a, a reduced forgetting curve. Um, they'll be able to apply it in a more meaningful way. They're going to feel more uh, bought into that and, and try to make it part of their process. All of those are massive wins for an organization that uh, really is about retaining that knowledge. All right. Another great mailbag episode in the books. Uh, some good questions today. And then uh, hopefully uh, some, some insights that will help you uh, make some decisions and, and think differently, uh, continue to think differently and have those conversations around inclusivity, diversity in your training um, to just improve it uh, and, and see the value in that. So uh, we want to finish our episode the same way we always do with a positivity point, a little something to bring something uh, some energy into the to into the world back to our audience uh, get you going on your day um, I will go first um, I may have lost my mind uh, just I'll preface with that um, and uh, sometimes I forget things um, but on this past uh, weekend our family brought home a puppy uh, I'm sure we'll share some pictures in the in the links um, I forget how 
much work a puppy is. It seems cute. It seems great. Um, and it is, to be honest with you. She's She's been a, a joy and the family loves her. But I do forget how much work they are. Um, so we have a brand new sheepadoodle named Brewer May. Uh, my wife likes to say because of our family's love of coffee, beer, and baseball. Uh, that's how she got her name as Brewer. Um, but she is very, very, very sweet. And we are in love with her. And she's brought a ton of energy to the house. Um and a couple sleepless nights, but that's all right. Uh, all part of the fun of having a puppy in the house. Uh, and the and the boys are just starstruck. Not that they didn't love our other dog. And uh, Mocha is just as happy to have a new playmate in the house, too. So there's a lot of energy. Very exciting times at the Babcock household. It's very exciting. I am uh, I have not been uh, went down the dog path yet in this house. You know, I'm dealing with an 18-month-old. Um, we'll stick with that for now. Um, there you go. My positivity point uh, for today is is related to soccer season. I know I've talked about this before and not having a season last year. 56 days away from our home opener, uh, which is also our season opener. Uh, nervous times, but also exciting times. So um, the amount of time I'm spending on the field is is uh, gradually increasing, um, which means that, uh, you know, life just getting a little bit more stressful. Uh, but that's okay because I love it and and I didn't have it last year, so I'm happy to be back. So on that note, um, I am excited and looking forward to that. So the countdown, you'll hear a lot of it as the season rolls around. How about a really quick freebie positivity point too? While it has been a weird experience, uh, Daniel mentioned that the Olympics are here uh, when we, in one of our earlier conversations. And it is filling the weird sports void that is this time of year historically in, in like professional sports. Um, and I do love the Olympics just regard, uh, like I, I watched the triathlon the other day. Yes. I have watched some handball. Uh, I've watched some water polo. Like I, I'm willing to watch just about anything to get my sports fixed right now. And the Olympics is filling that void, even if it does feel a little different. That is 100% true. And I'll add on to that. Um, it's been weird. Uh, I think you get to catch it as you go to bed. I, I've, I've woke up, I, for, you know, when World Cups for soccer and, and the Olympics are always on the other side of the world, I always find my way and my body to, to get up. So I've been I've been up for all the Canadian women's national team soccer games and, and the U.S. actually has been playing at, at the same time. So a couple of mornings I've had both games on. Um, but yeah, just you find yourself watching sports you you'd never even show interest in because you're patriotic and, and that. And I, I think that's awesome. And every once in a while, a sport I didn't even know existed. Like, I, there are just every once in a while, one will pop up on the TV. I'm like, well, it's on. I better watch it. And it's the only one playing right now. So I've watched some interesting sports, to say the least. But uh, I love the Olympics. So, all right. That will do it for us today. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca. And we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com. Thank you.